Hello and welcome to the Coolest Kids. I am one of your hosts, Terrence Wickham, joined by your other host, Brock Wilbur. And joined by our guest, Nick Hurwich. Hi, Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Nick is one of my favorite people. I'm so glad that he is on the show. Nick is the author or co-author of So You Created a Wormhole, The Time Traveler's Guide to Time Travel, along with The Space Hero's Guide to Glory. Uh, And you recently did the book component of the Resco uh, VR thing through I Am 8-Bit. Can you tell us about writing about a video game for a book that isn't a boss fight book? Uh, yeah, sorry, boss fight. Um, you can only, you can only get it by buying a very beautiful, very expensive, uh, double vinyl set that also comes with a seven inch, uh, from my M8 bit, but yeah, bound so into it's, it's the three vinyl records set. and a book. <laughs> yeah. You have um, to really know that you love this VR game that you also need VR to play. Did you get to meet yeah, was, Miz? I did. Yeah. I hung out with Miz. I had many interesting conversations with him. Did you wear um, the suit? I did not wear the suit. They did not send me the suit, uh, but he's invited me to put on the suit whenever you should, you should I go to Japan. Should that ever happen? What's the suit? Uh, it's the Res Force. Like, okay, you remember when uh, when Res first came out on the PS2? They had the trans vibrator. Yes. It's a whole suit of that. Yeah. Oh it's wow! Like a, it's like a force feedback suit. That... So, like, as if as if the Area X VR immersion were not enough they also have this thing they take to conventions a full body suit that vibrates in key areas uh in beat with the music um so he's just his whole thing is synesthesia you know and trying to combine the all the all the senses into a unified experience and so i guess that means wearing a vibrating bodysuit <laughs> while you play video games oh man uh, so today uh, episode today's ep- not to today episode today's episode <laughs> is uh, about Finch, but it's not what it is to burn, which everyone always nope. talks about. It's uh, the vastly superior album. Say hello to sunshine. But, um, when I got done listening to this the first time, it it took me back into a a, a, a full album recording of what it is to burn, and I hated it. I hated it so yeah. much. I was like, "Oh, my 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 palette was advanced." Yeah and, yeah, and and now these four chords and the same emo harmony on every song does nothing for me. Yep, <laughs> yep. That's that was like, I I listen to this out like I listen to "Say Hello to Sunshine" at least like once a year or something like that. Me too. And um, likewise, it's like even like after "Say Hello to Sunshine" came out, I was just like, I I don't need to listen to what it is to burn like. Letters to you, like I could never hear that song again in my life, and I'd be fine. Uh, and all of my yeah. friends are just like, "Oh, you like Finch? Like what it is to burn?" I'm just like, eh. <laughs> like you know, I don't know if either of you guys use Spotify, but on Spotify, every artist has like, oh, five most popular songs or whatever, and it's usually yeah. like a mix of their entire discography, and like it's you know, it's pretty representative of the band. All five most popular songs listed on the Finch page are from what it is to burn. And it just like, it, it hurts me inside. Yeah. Deep down. <laughs> it's um, like this album is so much different than what it is to burn. They might as well be two different bands doing them. Yes. Um, because like the first album is very, yeah. Like the same, like Brock said, the same four chords 
over and over again the same like post hardcore like very early 2000s post post hardcore like we talk about Silverstein a lot but like <laughs> they they might like they this might as well like uh, what it is to burn may as well be a Silverstein album with how generic it is um yes yes <laughs> yes that's what i heard and that's what i hated <laughs> it it is kind of like finch to me is kind of you know they are like the representative band of the post hardcore emo mm-hmm. trajectory mm-hmm. uh because you know what it is to burn was so much like just in the zeitgeist at that time mm-hmm. there are a thousand bands like them what it is to burn was popular because that sound was popular mm-hmm. and there are a million albums like that and then after they got some acclaim and and some success they made what i think is you know what they they actually became their own band and it basically ended their careers <laughs> like your, your thesis here is that what it is to burn was so successful because it was the generic pill alternative for a genre sound and that's exactly yeah. right this is uh, I, they were they were all out of Silverstein today. I guess I'll take this thing because it's the same. And then people don't like you when you become your own thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> describing it as the trajectory of post hardcore uh, and emo, like it is. It is very much uh, a lot of bands have kind of done this, uh, where their first album kind of sounds like everyone else, and then they just they hit a second album. They're just like, man, we can't do that again. Uh, um, like one of my favorite bands, Emery. Um, their second album. I mean, the first album kind of has like this more. I don't know. Like the, the second album is just not much different, but it is. Well, I would. I guess it would be the the difference between the second and the third album for them because, like, the second album has like the kind of feeling of this is what the era sounded like. And then their third album, they're just like, okay, this is what we wanted to do. Even though I love that second album a whole lot. Um, but a lot of, a lot of bands I'm looking at, uh, I was just reminded of census fail, like census fail and like Silverstein and like those bands that they kept releasing albums. I was like, man, y'all sound exactly how you did when you first released your first album. So yeah, like a newfound glory my uh the my story of how i came to love this album uh is very much like that tale which is a friend of mine you know like i knew a finch but i never got into what it is to burn like i had listened to it and was like whatever um and uh i I also did not like it and my friends did not understand why and it's it's nice to put into words now because back then i didn't use words so (laughs) right well and it was you know it's just like all around you so why wouldn't you like it brock what's wrong with you (laughs) Um, but a a friend of mine who very much loves finch in the first album then uh say hello to sunshine came out and she listened to it and it was just like it it threw her for such a loop that she didn't want it and she was like hey i got this new finch cd this is in the era of cds everyone um she's like it's just it's too hardcore for me like will you do you want this and i was like sure and i listened to it and i was like this is fucking incredible uh i mean it was for me in that that era like i listened to this album maybe as much as anything else i listened to Um, yeah 
it's that good. And and in revisiting it when we talked about it earlier in the week, trying to figure out what album to talk about, you know, I've listened to it a few times this week and I was trying to identify like, okay, like through the lens of retrospect, where does this break down for me? Or like where, you know, where is it a little too, you know, where does it hem too closely to the genre or whatever? And I I don't think it happens. Like I can listen to this album start to finish uh, without being like, ah, I got to power through this song before I can get to the good stuff again. It uh, the difference between what it is to burn and say hello to sunshine kind of reminds me of the difference between under oaths. Um, they're only chasing safety and define the great line. Hmm. Um, where it's like the first one, like we said before, like it's kind of like this sounds like the this is the one that everyone loves, and this is the one that everyone wants played at concerts. But then you get the second one, and it just becomes this sort of like change. It's weird uh metal metal ish album uh it's uh, i was listening to a lot of this it's the last two uh episodes we did were prog episodes and every song was like eight minutes long and just (laughs) drained my will to live um this album we we are just in general happy to be back i don't i terrence did you hear us talking about it on uh, missouri loves company Yes, I did. Yeah, we, um, we, we, me and Terrence have been on a bit of a kick here. I was just looking at our iTunes earlier. I was like, yeah, there's a bunch of uh, bands and albums in a row here we did that that may have left the emo thesis of our show behind for a little while. <laughs> um, but this, like, this album kind of has like, so it's like kind of, kind of, kind of like prog metal that doesn't waste your time. No, um, I don't. I think there's one song on the album that's longer than five minutes but what i'm saying is prog metal takes like nine minutes to finish a song and i'm just like this is like you could have you could have finished your you we had we had enough time for three songs in here what are you doing i i don't know have you both seen the post yet no yes i have there's there's a scene in it where uh the post uh, starts pressing a story. I'm, I'm Brock. Can I just say I'm fascinated to know how you're tying the post to this? Uh, continue. <laughs> oh, because it's it's about cutting down your stuff, uh, and there's a scene. That it's just one shot, uh, and it's the story going to print. Uh, and somebody on on Twitter pointed out that like the the most uh, un, unrealistic scene in the movie is that the story lands on this copy editor's desk. And the very first thing he does is cross out the first sentence. Yeah. No, I and, totally I, and, as soon that. as that moment happened in the movie, like alone <laughs> in a theater, I'm like, oh my God, that's insane. No one, like they definitely just handed it to an actor and he just started crossing things out. But he crossed out the first sentence. Like no journalist is that bad. Indeed. Yeah. They worked, they, <laughs> we they literally buried the lead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the copy editor uncovered it. Yeah, he did it. He did it like without hesitation. Also, it's like he looked at the paper and started putting red through that first sentence. Anyway, that's prog rock. That's the problem with prog rock. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I've been going to a bar in my neighborhood lately where they have like a '90s rock playlist on all the time, but it's at like time and a half speed. And so sometimes I don't notice songs until it like smells like Teen Spirit was like a minute and a half yesterday. I was like, that was a real fast version of smells like Teen Spirit. I was like, oh, I don't know how you get like a a Pandora station and then speed it up the way you would a podcast. Like it's 
it's really right. disorienting to me sometimes, especially when we heard like Johnny Cash do Hurt, and I was like, this is really fast. <laughs> like, and it's in a slightly higher key. Like they didn't, yeah. So it's it became, it became like a bluegrass song at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys see? I'm I'm sure you guys saw the uh, uh, the Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah, into a major key video. Yeah, around a couple. Weeks it's ago. real weird. It's it's pretty weird. It's like it's like bowling for soup meets Goo Goo Dolls. Uh, <laughs> it does have a very black balloon vibe about it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bowling for soup meets Goo Goo Dolls is a perfect description because I was just like, this isn't like pop punk. Like it's not that, but yeah, yeah. You are. It's still like right. a little sad, but in a yeah. <laughs> um. So, so this kind of. Uh, Go uh, ahead. No, go. I, go I was ahead. just gonna say I, I had one more thought about the Nirvana. <laughs> the Nirvana thing is that say your thing. Uh, it's like their whole shtick is you know taking Beatles like uh, uh, pop music and just like turning it forty five degrees, just like yeah. making it like icky. So it's like if you take if you take a song that's you know Beatles song, turn forty five degrees, and then you turn it back upright again, then that's yeah, you're just gonna have a pop song again so it's it's not super yeah. revelatory uh i'm looking at the uh wikipedia page for say hello to sunshine and they describe this album as pop punk and post hardcore and i don't think whoever wrote this no. knows what pop punk is there's not a single pop punk <laughs> pop punk song on this record yeah no, no like not at all also the closest I, I think it gets is is like revelation song being sort of a gatsby's american dream song but then but that's not even pop punk because it's just sort of these disjointed start stop things so you have happy little boppy sections but you only get six seconds of them at a time so right. i don't know yeah that was my, that was my whole thing about it being like sort of prog metal-ish where there's like weird key changes and like these like sort of discordant um like guitar parts uh, but it doesn't like the only song on here the longest song on this album is four minutes and 19 seconds long and that's uh was that hopeless host i think bite mark bite marks and bloodstains is longer oh 439 you're right um but still like that's average song length for some songs um but yeah, it's like there's there's nothing like lyric wise, like music wise, there is nothing pop punk in this album. Also, yeah. IGN reviewed this album and gave it a two point nine out of ten. I didn't know IGN reviewed. Oh my music god! Ever. I, there's so many questions about this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really imagine a less reliable source, right, than IGN for for when this album came out, right, like. I understand. I know that IGN like covers movies too, but like this is like mu- When did they ever do music? Why is who- it's probably just someone in the office really liked uh, uh, what it is to burn, and they were like, <laughs> "I hate this new album. Can I write about it?" And, and they did. Uh, but if you type uh, if you type "Say Hello to Sunshine" into Google, uh, the fifth entry is criminally underrated albums. Wow! Um, there we go. Thanks, fifth entry. <laughs> it, it it does a thing I, on almost every song where the uh the choruses have this sort of like cascading melody that's like it's 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 a slow fall uh and and that sort of like uh half note progression uh allows them to do sort of whatever they want over the top of it so you can have four guitars in four different keys and it still also always somehow works and i was like on the fifth song and i was like just every song can do this 
Okay, like I'm fucking <laughs> yeah. in for it. It means it, it means you're totally you're you're bound to nothing musically, and the rest of the album is so great. Like I I'd, I'd forgotten I I went out and bought the vinyl for this immediately after listening to it for the first time. I <laughs> you guys sold me on this Ooh, album so fucking quickly because like I forgot how much I missed the tone of crunch, like just mm-hmm. the sound of crunch, mm-hmm. uh, and like the this album is built on on so much fucking crunch, but like also like. Every every like guitar note and especially like the bass slap stuff, everything here feels like somebody is drunk. Where either they're sliding into <laughs> just whatever the next note is, or they're just hitting a guitar arrhythmically whenever they get angry about something. And I was like, this right. is my new like drinking album. Like this is so fucking all over the place. And it feels like the if if you were to try to describe the album to somebody who hasn't listened to it, I would just call it a mess. But it's such a it's a confined mess, and it knows what it's doing. But it just right. it, it feels messy and it feels uh, it has a very specific anger and hit to it that isn't walls of distortion. It just sort of is fucking there and it just keeps hitting and it doesn't stop. And it's we've I'm always fascinated when we grab an album that just uh, it just manages to maintain the energy from start to finish because that's impossible, especially on this is an hour long album. And it really does that yeah. without letting up. Uh, and like we just listened to. uh uh, fucking uh, Coheed and Cambria thing, and that that album has like eight minute long loot songs in it and stuff. And I was like, okay, I, I think I expected yeah. something different here. Uh, and this one just fucking kicks. <laughs> yeah, um, the problem with Coheed and Cambria, I mean, at least especially <laughs> that album, um, what I didn't like is that I did listen to the first two Coheed and Cambria songs, and every song on those albums like sounded different enough where. Like it was, it didn't feel like what I was listening to was like you would get three songs in a row on uh, on that third Coding Cambria album, where it's just like, did the song end? Like, are we on a different track now, uh, or right. not? And like this album, this album, um, like every like you said, it has like this specific anger to it that doesn't sound like it's angry uh, at someone. It's anger about something. Yeah. But you can't really suss out what it's angry about. Um, yeah, I think I, you know, I have I have a limit as much as I I very much like of this generation and and uh, love a fair number of emo bands and albums. I have a limited tolerance for screamo mm-hmm. and like, and I think it's because for the most part, you know, the backing guitars and the backing screams of screamo music aren't purposeful they're just because that's the kind of music it is that's the Mm -hmm. genre like Mm -hmm. oh we we scream now this is the part where we scream and there's you know i think what you're saying brock is true that it's like it's like this messy hodgepodge of like four guys just like super fucking angry at their instruments but everything feels purposeful to me like there's never just like a guitar in the background like well i'm i'm banging this fucking guitar because that's we're an emo band and I'm going to scream now because we're an emo band. It's like all, it's all very purposeful. And I, and I also think that that it's interesting um, from like a genre perspective, because I think it, that dovetails into the lyrics because I think this is like a truly emo record in that they're never, they're rarely just like singing about their, their hearts being broken or just like teen angst. Like there's some like dark poetry in these lyrics. Like it's a, it's an actual like dark 
emotional album content wise yeah. uh in a way that i think like very much fits what they're trying to say and for me reiterates the fact that it's just not it's not angry for the sake of being angry it's like it's purposeful yeah yeah uh i, I wanted to bring up like this the, even the way that like, the album starts off like it's just this i don't even know what the noise that it is that it starts off with but it sounds scary. Like it's yes. Like it sounds like it's the first track, uh, "Insomniatic Meat." Like it starts off with this. It sounds like somebody's kind of d- dragging guitar strings across cement. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, like, like you hear the drums kick in, and like everything kind of builds into a crescendo. And like the 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 lyrics and everything comes in, but this album almost feels like a Silent Hill game with how oh my god yes 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 with how yeah with how like weird and dark it is like the, the, uh, the first song ends with him just shouting this is the worst thing you've ever done right, yeah, right. like meet me meet me in the like, in that town <laughs> yeah I was gonna say this like this is like uh this is like the the. I'm trying to think of when people really started hating Silent Hill. I guess it would be the fifth Silent Hill game because yeah, 4 boy. had some good ideas. 4 had some good ideas but didn't execute it on them well, so whatever. So it, it's like, uh, I would say, like, it was... I could see it being Silent Hill 4, like... like I, I, if, if you're out there and you've never played Silent Hill 4, it's called Silent Hill 4 The Room, and you're stuck in your apartment and you can't get out of it and a hole appears in the wall, so you do what any normal person would do, and you would crawl into that hole, and you wind up in Silent Hill. And throughout the game, instead of save points, you crawl back into your apartment, but as the game goes, your apartment becomes increasingly more fucked with ghosts uh, and yeah. things that are after you. And you can sort of peer through like the peephole in your door and look out in the world and try to call people, but you can't escape the apartment. Uh, and it's a fucking crazy concept, and it, it's actually my favorite Silent Hill game. But it has uh, long swaths of sections with, like, monsters that are actually impossible to kill or something, and you don't, no one ever tells you that. So yeah. you spend, like, an hour being like, I can't get through the subway. Oh, I'm just supposed to run through the subway. There was no other way. <laughs> yeah. Like like I said, there's some, some super cool stuff in that game. But, uh, like, the whole concept of, like, not being able to, to get out um, of the situation, which, like he the first the first song he talks about subconsciously surrendering like that that definitely sounds like being trapped somewhere that you can't really get out of so you're just kind of like right. i guess this is my situation now I, uh, one of the things i love about the opening song just how this album opens is that and it, in fact i i was reading the uh the wikipedia this week also just to like you know peer behind the curtain a little bit but uh the first song they actually wrote for this album was bite marks and bloodstains mm-hmm. which is probably it's probably one of my favorite songs on the album but they specifically say about it that it's the bridge between the old sound and the new sound which mm-hmm. you can hear if you listen to it but it's the 12th song in the album right like any sane, any <laughs> sane rational band would be like oh this is that's the first song it's bridging the gap we know this it's going to be the first song in the album they're like no let's write a song called insomniatic meat where it sounds like we're dragging a uh, you know, plugged-in guitar across cement, and we're screaming at them. like they, they were like, fuck you, this is what we sound like now. 
And I, I wonder how many people just like listened to that first song who were fans of the first album and they were just already out. Um, right. And I mean that as a compliment. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, like even, even looking at the, the album art, like you could tell like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't what they've done before. Like the first, the first, uh, the first album is, has this very, um, early 2000s look to it like it's just like ice cube tray it's like a picture of an ice cube tray shedding at a skew angle the ice cube missing and like it says like finch on the side like that's very like taking a random object and taking a picture of it and like putting filters over it it's a very like it's a genre of album art um but they had like art commissioned for uh what it is to burn or not not what it is to burn um whatever we're talking about here this say, album, hello, say to hello to sunshine um and it's like it's a house that has like roots coming out of it but the the house is like floating and there's like like you could tell like this is not even looking at the cover that this is not going to be the same thing um yeah. i think my favorite album or not album but every uh, my favorite song on the album is might be the casket of casket of roderick usher because it's, I don't know what it is. It's like, it's, it's, it like, it starts off like, it's, it starts immediately. Like there's no buildup in the song. It's just like the drums first. And then like this sort of monstrous growling, like, it like sounds like he's gritting through his teeth, screaming, uh, and he says, and he just repeats, prepare your burial over and over again a few times. And then it gets to the cor- chorus, but put that, uh, put that in a quotation marks. Uh, and he's, he, he screams this body cold and contagious over and over again. And it's such a, not what you expected from this era song or from this sort of band, like these lyrics, uh, once again, leading back to, hey, is this really just a Silent Hill concept album? Right. Well, and then that song's that's like the shortest song in the album. Like yeah. it just comes and slaps you in the face, and then it's like, all right, we're out. Yeah. Uh, and then the the that's the, the second to last track, and then the last track starts off with him making karate noises. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank Which you I, for saying I've it. Always to this day, I'm trying to figure out what that is, and like the best answer I've come up with is that. It's, it's lyrics or it's words that they like put through a filter and played in reverse. That's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> that it sounds in reverse. I don't right. know how else a human could make those noises. Right. He just kind of sounds like a Street Fighter character. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, the song is called "Dreams of Psilocybin." And if you don't know what psilocybin is, that's uh, those are uh, mushrooms, uh, special mushrooms. And uh, it, that's certainly could, could be could be what this uh, song is about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Brock, you you hadn't heard this album before, or you had? I had not. You had no, not. and I, I was just from the opening song, just in love. Like it's just, it's so so beautiful and complicated. And yes, I think some part of me could have made the Silent Hill connection, but now that I have, it is one of my favorite albums. My God, it's so it's so good and goes so many places and it does, it does a lot of that stuff that we love on the doppelganger album and and things like that, where it's just, there's, 
there's so much going on and there's so many layers of things and it just feels big but it also has a like a tonality about it that I, I just haven't heard in anything else we've been listening to from this time or or, or this genre and uh I, I get I, I enjoy it a little more each time I re-listen to it as I'm I'm it's been a while since we've listened to an album where I've listened to it enough in the preparatory time for this that I've started to like learn choruses and start to sing along. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just feels like a real good album to invest the time in. Like this also feels like one of the first ones I'm gonna pick up and actually learn some on the guitar. Like mm-hmm. I, I just I, I love everything about it and like there yeah, this are is, great riffs th- on this album. Th- there are like, incredible like, riffs. Intoxicating riffs. <laughs> uh and uh and and yeah i uh this is my first this is my first run through with that this is my recommendation to absolutely go out and check this one out <laughs> um talking about how how like much stuff is on this album like how they do stuff how many songs are differently another one of my favorite songs is uh, a man alone um yeah. which starts off not like how the rest of the song goes like like there it's it's this very like sort of like rock like like uh, almost like classic metal rock uh riff at the beginning and then he like kind of croons through the uh <laughs> through the first through the first uh like the non-chorus parts um and uh the chorus always kind of like once again uh the silent hill like sort of feel to it where uh, he talks uh, talks about he says old man loneliness is a son of a bitch both hands bound can't scratch the itch like there's a lot of there's a lot of like <laughs> sort of trapped imagery of this album. Um, it also feels like the uh, what I would read under a painting somewhere in Silent Hill, right? Yeah, <laughs> or just like the itchy tasty thing from uh, from uh, Resident Evil one two one of the Resident I think it Evils. is one. Yeah, I think it's one. I think it's. I think they find it like outside the mansion or something like that. Um, I'm not. I, I'm not. In that same vein, I appreciate that Ink represents, uh, as I wrote in my notes, exactly the number of tracks into the album that you should do before you do uh, a a song with a character monster voice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm creeping up the hillside now. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Your your track yeah. five that was just long enough to sell me before we got a little funny weird, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> Buried in the middle there. Yeah, we um the the last album we did, which I which I was not a fan of. Uh, he also <laughs> has um, they also do like some uh, some weird like monster voice stuff, but it it like I feel like it didn't fit with the the rest of the album. And, um, and before that, we'd done Coheed and Cambria, where there was a couple of those too. So I was like. You know what? Track five. That's the sweet spot for your monster <laughs> song. That's what I've learned from our recent run of episodes. Uh, yeah, and um, but like here, like, like I guess like prog rock it has like it's certainly rock roots, but it also has like that sort of show show kid uh, like choir esque like we need to be on beat all the time uh sort of thing to it while this is just like oh the goth kids the goth kids uh, have broken into the uh have broken into the chorus room and are now like destroying everything <laughs> well uh yeah i i don't know <laughs> i find i i also find the context of this album like very tragic mm-hmm. um and and I'm also guilty of that because, like I said, you know, I I guess we're we're kind of taking the position 
uh, that, you know, this is the superior album to what it is to burn, which it is, but it's like, you know, they had, they had some success. They were young dudes. They had some success. They made an album that was like unique and actually good and nobody liked it. And then they like, and then they broke up and their, (laughs) their bass player, like, uh, went to work in real estate and got, uh, got accused of, uh, fraud and he like went to prison Um, and that. just like, I think the, the lead singer, as you might've guessed from reading, uh, or listening to this album, like suffered from depression and they like all went about their lives and then they got back together and they put out uh, their third album in 2016 and like no one gave a shit. And like, I, I include myself, I haven't listened to that album, but it's so yeah. weird that it's, it's just rare that an album this good comes from a band that like just hasn't done anything else you know it's right like there's you know how many times i've listened to the new at the drive-in album (laughs) (laughs) after after wanting it for 15 fuck years (laughs) yeah yeah which which i've brought it up on the show before to terrence but on uh, on record store day they did an ep and i got that ep thinking somehow i'd listen to fewer songs that were new somehow and there's an actual honest to fuck second wave ska song on that EP. And I was just like, all right, the I, I'm not missing out on anything. I don't know what I thought was going to happen yeah. here. Yeah, we're out. <laughs> we're well, we're it's out. Like, meanwhile, Taking Back Sunday like won't stop making albums. Right. You know? Like they have like now they're up to like eight albums or something. And I I think <clears throat> I quit like three ago. But yeah, that's like I I I've always liked Taking Back Sunday, but it's just like I really like New Again. And then, uh, th- whatever that, I think the album after that is when, uh, John Nolan rejoined after Stray Light Run broke up and I'm just like, I don't, I don't have time for this. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, they, they, like, I was just like, oh, they had a new album come out. I should listen to that. And I listened to it once. I'm like, that was pretty good. And then like, they then like, I feel like the next year I was just like, oh, take it back. Sunday has another album. I, I'll check that out. And then I just never, never, ever look again. Hey, do you um, guys have a band that like the the band was gone forever and came back, and you do listen to the album all the time now? Hmm. Uh, I my, mine mine sucks now because mine was uh, the Deaths from Above nineteen seventy nine album that they did uh, mm-hmm. two years ago, uh, which like I'd missed them when they first existed because they existed for six months and mostly played church basements in Canada, and just never thought I would get another album out of them. And then that that, that follow up album was is so good but now i can't be fans of that band anymore so that's a real letdown that's that's the only like decade plus right like band disappearing thing like i'm sure that there's somebody i'm forgetting of like a portis head or something like that that i really sunk time into but that's the first one that comes to mind for me that actually like i i actually listen to i think maybe more than the original album now (laughs) yeah i can't think of one and there are bands that i think i would do that for like i think like if postal service did an album now like if it grew as much as they did as people in the same time, like right. I could see that working for me. I mean, I mean, I feel like any new death cap stuff like has sort of, uh, weird, um, whatever feeling to it. Yes. It, de- it, it definitely has like electronic beats under it. They know right. what they're doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I was just looking up bands, uh, and I didn't know, uh, do make say think was one of my favorite post-rock bands. Uh, they haven't had a. They had an EP come out in two thousand nine, and they just had an album come out this year, which I didn't even know about. Um, I'm guessing well, I would it's definitely, an album. I would definitely do that with System of a Down. 
If System of a Down came out with a new album, I think I would if, ship myself. If, if Surge came back and put all of his all of his ideas into one CD, yes. Yeah, I would be excited, despite myself. <laughs> there's, there's, there's construction going on on the house next to mine, so I've heard tracks from Toxicity for the first time in a decade. Oh. Oofa <laughs> well, doofa. Because yeah. that's what the teens are. It's it's a group of like twenty something boys, and they just fucking love the Toxicity album. And I'm like, are you me from the past? Right. Is this my Doctor Who, where I actually just go back and do uh, loud uh, concrete work on the house next to where the future me lives? <laughs> is is uh, Kansas City just like fifteen years in the past? Is that? Uh, I got to be real honest. That is the case for some things, and that's maybe the reason that I'm not doing stand-up anymore out here. <laughs> that's uh, That's been a hard thing. Hmm. But I'm trying to think of a band... Hmm. I don't, I don't know. Because I, like, I feel like a lot of bands that, like, I really get into one album and then they release stuff after that, like, it just never kind of has the same... Uh, the same feeling um like i went yeah. back and listened to one of my favorite albums um i am hollywood by he is legend uh which came out in 2004 and then like every subsequent release from that is just kind of disappointing um uh especially because w- one time i went to see them in concert and uh i was so excited like at the beginning of the show like i went and bought a shirt at the beginning of the show and they just had a new album come out. Like I want to say it was like that day or like the day before or something. They didn't play one song off of any of their old, like their first two albums, and oh, just played you. <laughs> just played the new album. And what was even worse is that they had this guy come out on stage and like recite the lyrics of one of the songs from the other album, like the title track off oh, of shit. "I Am Hollywood." And That's like, just mean spirited. Yeah, and they didn't play anything off of any of their old stuff, and the new album sucked. And like, it was just the most disappointing thing I've ever had happen at a concert. I mean, I still have the shirt because I still like that album a whole lot. <laughs> you know, you know what album probably would have done it for me if not for uh, extenuating circumstances is maybe the new brand new album. Hmm. Mm. I I would have been I I was really prepared to sink just a lot of time into that and my first listen was really good and that's that's kind of where it ended for me and I had I I didn't really listen to anything beyond uh uh Deja and Tendu so there was a ten year break there for me with right. with them uh, so yeah I could have I could have done that with them on this one I think <laughs> right yeah um, but yeah I can't I can't really think of something. Oh, I, I think I forgot to tell you, on Christmas morning, I opened up presents, and one of the gifts I got was from my mom and dad. They got me the new brand new album on vinyl, and and I was holding it up, and there was this long pause, and then uh, my sister's husband was like, I'd really like that album, and I was like, you can have that album, and as I said, my dad was like, oh, that's the band that you and Terrence talked about on the podcast, isn't it? I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is, like maybe four times now, because my... Hi, Dad. I know you're listening. Uh, it was like it's a good <laughs> gift. Like we talked about it a lot. You weren't wrong, but you missed the context of right. how we were speaking about it. Yeah, right. I mean, I I just haven't, <clears throat> I just haven't gone back and listened to it, uh, not because of uh, uh, the, the stuff. Thing. Yeah, the stuff. <laughs> the thing, um, but because, uh, but because uh, I've just been listening to a shit ton of synthwave. 
Really? Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I, for a while, I was just, like, listening to, like, chill wave stuff, like Home and uh, and Calm Trues and stuff. But then uh, I put on a Home, uh, this band, not a band, but it's one guy uh, who goes by Home. He had a, He has an album that I really like. Uh, he has a few albums that are really good. But uh, I put on a... Um, uh, just like a Google music radio station and uh, this band called Wave Shaper came up and they're a synth wave band and everything kind of sounds like uh, sounds like if John if John Carpenter scored a video game about the 80s yes uh, and it's it's just amazing um, I mean I, can, I feel like that all ties back into our, our res talk earlier where it has, all has like that sort of synthy feeling to it, and it's uh, it's real good. But uh, before we let you go today, Nick, do you want to talk a little bit about Res and your book, and you know how that came to be, and how you get an entire book out of Res <laughs> and Child of Eden? Uh, well, you know, I had I had uh, access, which was a big part of it. I mean, the book is a retrospective; it's kind of the history of how Res came to be, and like uh, how Mizuguchi San like you know, came up through Sega and like his philosophy behind, uh, behind games. Was, so I didn't know he was from Sega. Yeah. Yeah. He hmm. worked, uh, he worked on, you know, some like arcade games and oh. like, racing games. And, um, uh, that kind of makes a lot of sense. Um, he, considering like some of the weird output that Sega's had. Well, and part of the story of the book is that, you know, res was being developed as a dreamcast game. And then like, uh, their like relationship kind of went with Sega kind of went sour mm-hmm. as the Dreamcast was happening because it wasn't mm-hmm. successful and like mm-hmm. Sony or yeah Sony kind of swooped in and saved the day. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I did just did a shitload of interviews um, and that was basically it, like talking to people on the team and talking to Miz a bunch and um, kind of you know just. Build, you know it's it's only like a it's like a 65 page book and it's heavily designed by Corey schmitz so like it you could read it in a single sitting probably in an hour mm-hmm. um, but yeah it's a good time right now i'm working on a similar sort of book uh about tekken um oh yes like <laughs> all all of tekken are you is, gonna are you gonna throw a child into a volcano uh, you know, I might, yeah, I might have to get method with the writing and, uh, throw my son into a crevasse. I don't, I don't think he would like it too much, but uh, no, it'd be fine because, <laughs> uh, because 20 years later, he'll just come back and throw you into a volcano. So everything will be fine. He can uh, take over. He can take over my entire company, which is me freelancing out of this house that I rent. So it's really not a lot that he would come back for. You don't um, really have. You don't really have a bear that you're training. You just just like no. some squirrels outside. No, my Zaibatsu is pretty small time. Uh, Nick's uh, Nick's wife is the uh, co-creator of I Am Eight Bit, so they uh, uh, they have some projects around the house. I assume. <laughs> yeah, Tekken is is not through them, but yeah, we we. Uh, collaborate that's that's uh inside baseball is you know why the res book happened but i swear i'm also qualified to do my job (laughs) not just because i'm sleeping with the boss was your work on the hohokam book also through them yes yeah they put that out um uh, i'm glad i'm glad you know about that brock because that's that's uh nobody knows about the hohokam brock did i brock was i the one who told you about hohokam 
Yes, you were. Okay, I thought so. I, I, was, I, I forgot that remember. Nick was, had written a book about it. Yeah, I think because Brock was like looking for like relaxing games or something like that. And I was like, you should get, because you had just got a PS4, I think. I, I think that was I just Yeah, I just had. got the PS4, but the wife had also just discovered Stardew Valley. And she was like, I did not know that uh, games could make my screaming brain stop. And I was like, we have to find more. We have to find more of these now. <laughs> yeah, I had I had uh, eaten eaten some weed gummies and played Hohokam a few months ago, and that was like, <laughs> that's the way. I was like, that, like I already liked that game before, but just like the sort of relaxing, sort of like repetitive looping of like your snake creature. Is, yeah, uh, yeah, that's a, yeah. That's you don't actually have to do anything, but yeah, we uh, that was a, a collaboration between I'm Eight Bit and uh, Sony Santa Monica who was publishing Hohokam. Um, these two, uh, this small British studio was putting it out. Um, and uh, it was cool, like, because, you know, you've played Hohokam, Terrence. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no there's no words and no story, but there's just all this stuff and, like, all these characters yeah. you fly by. So the concept of the book was kind of to, it's, like, broken up by the areas of the game. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a children's book, uh, or it's, like, a series of children's books almost Mm. where there's just like little side stories or songs or um uh like fun little tidbits about the stuff you saw in the game Mm -hmm. so if you just you know if you got it and you like read it with your seven-year-old you'd probably enjoy it but it can also serve as uh ancillary material for having played the game Um, right i'm really proud of that book i i sony like kind of stopped supporting the game and like didn't really do anything with the book so i mean a handful of people bought that book um uh even though i think it's really cool yeah i mean like i can definitely see when you talk about kids book there is about the different areas like it is very much um this kids book aesthetic of finding um I don't know, like finding out what, how, how, figuring out what to do in each world when you go into it. Because when you go into it, it doesn't really tell you what to do. You just start messing around with things. You're just like, oh, this does this thing, this does this thing, stuff like right. that. And it's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a good game that I think people should play. It's um, a good game, and we listened to a good album today. Terrence, do you recommend people revisit this album? Oh, definitely. I mean. I, if you're if you like the first Finch album, uh, maybe not. But oh, that's a really good point. Uh, I, I'm, I'm lucky you that like I the never first liked Finch, Finch album. You're wrong. <laughs> right, yes. yeah. That's our political platform. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if you like the first Finch album, uh, move on with your life. Um, but I, yeah, this this album is excellent. I had anxiety for half the week about like, did I choose the right album to talk about? But I I think that. I think that I did. Yeah, I think you did, my man. <laughs> Brock, what about you? How would you... I, I know you would recommend the album, but how would you sell this to somebody? Uh, this is uh, this is I, 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 the first truly, like, fucking underappreciated gem that I think we've hit on this show. Like, we've had, like, a, I really loved our, our Jimmy Eat World uh, Futures episode, because, like, I listened to that album, and that album I thought was fine at the time, and in retrospect, I think it's better... Than Bleed American, even though both albums have their have their merits. Right. Uh, this album, it, it feels like what I wanted of another at the drive-in album to be, or like it really. It uh, there's so many songs that I put the note down like bonus Thursday song. Like I, I feel like I'm getting <laughs> everything I wanted out of this genre and time of music. Like 
we've got the distorted megaphone vocals, we have some clean chords, a bunch of palm muting, and then everything drops out real fast. Or like I, I fucking I, I I audibly laughed the first time I heard uh uh Brother Bleed Brothers when uh they were like uh holding breath uh you pause on a holding breath and then there's like a 10 second break of silence before the very first chorus hits and i was like mm. that's a funny music joke like <laughs> like it's so <laughs> like the the album is so densely packed and it's it's felt rewarding to to keep coming back to it uh over the course of this week i'm just real glad to have found it and i yeah i i, I think if you like the music that we talk about here this is good, and it's also one of those that, like, uh, it hits that weird spot that we've talked about that eventually we're going to come up with a word for, that, like, it's so fucking angry, but it makes you not feel angry. Mm-hmm. Like, I was sitting at brunch this morning with, with my wife out somewhere in a very brunchy spot, and just, like, head bopping along with my headphones in, and, and she's like, what are you listening to? I was like, the angriest thing, just a man <laughs> screaming as hard as he can while a bunch of elephants trample drums. Uh, and I was like... But it, it gives you that like dancey poppy sort of feeling, even though it's not dancey poppy music. Like this, it, it makes it has a it gives you a positive vibe, and I feel good when I'm listening to it. And uh, it, of of like the four or five things that get me real jazzed on a record when we when we do it on this show, like this is hitting all of those check boxes. So highest recommendation for me. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Nick, likewise. Yeah, I, and, and it's also somehow there's an extra bonus point for knowing that it fucking ruined the, the band. Like, to know that this is the hill that they died on. Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, it deserves even more recognition for that. Like, I'm I'm glad you did, uh, you guys did a Futures episode. I'm going to go listen to that because that's another one of my, like, it's kind of just, like, buried in the Jimmy World dis- discography mm-hmm. and was, you know, their follow-up to their most commercially successful album. But I, Futures is, like, incredible. Um, I mean, yeah. you know, Clar- Clarity is their best album, but futures is great but this is like you know jimmy world is still making pretty good albums and finch right. like finch is dead long yeah. live finch uh apparently he started the lead singer started a new band uh called private lives i was oh, just looking up uh also i never got to make uh since we we're talking about res i was gonna ask you if you uh if you're gonna make a book about deepak chopra's uh deepak chopra's leela for the <laughs> for the connect uh, what is that? I don't know what that it's is. It's some it's some game uh that like it's this weird <laughs> like I, I, game. I did play 30 minutes of it when it released. <laughs> oh, I never played it. I just remember seeing it. I was just like Deepak Chopra made a game. Um but it's like if you go on Amazon it's just like, "Oh, you like Res? Try this game." Um but yeah, it just looks like a bunch of nonsense. Um while while Res does not uh Anyway. Fascinating. Nick, where can yeah. we find you on the internet? Uh, on Twitter, I am at HeWizard, which is a permutation of my last name, Herwich. Uh-huh. Mm. Uh, and that's pretty much that's pretty much it. That's where I am. Oh, uh, my sometimes co-author and I host a sometimes podcast called Paradox, the time travel podcast, which you can subscribe to. It is uh, we each episode we analyze the time travel of a time travel movie and we break it down um and we like doing it we don't post episodes as frequently as we would like but um it's a fun show if you're it is a, that. it is a very, good show and I, I appreciate your guys's dedication to never giving up on time travel my doctor who podcast is fucking dead so <laughs> <laughs>
TV is hard, man. I think TV is way hard. Like we get requests all the time to like, oh, this show or this show. It's like, listen, I'm not going to watch 26 hours of your favorite time travel show so that I can talk about it for an hour on a podcast I don't get paid for. And, like, and they're sorry, all the I'm same. Like every episode of the Doctor Who podcast, I did bring up sliders. So it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no one has original ideas, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Movies are just like easier to walk through. You gotta yeah. start. Uh, you gotta start moving on the game so you can do like time shift and Prince of Persia: Sands of Time and yeah. Uh, well, we did uh, Super Time Force. Phil, Phil Hornshaw, my co-host, is also a, a games critic and games writer. So he, you know, he actually plays that stuff. I don't have that much time for video games these days, but mm. um, like we did a. Uh, we did a segment on Quantum Break last year. Mm. Yeah. And he wrote a pretty good piece about that for somewhere. I don't even remember where it was. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. I, 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 I ran that... into Phil at the uh, review event for uh, the new Uncharted game, and I hadn't seen him in several years, despite the fact he lived a block from me. And he was like, hello. <laughs> and I was like, uh-huh. And then I came back like 10 minutes later. I was like, Phil, yes. Sorry. <laughs> Sometimes when you're internet-only friends... Uh, after a few years from doing a podcast together, it's hard to, I still, I still feel bad about it when I see him tweet. I'm like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Brock, I would be, I would be remiss to, uh, end this without mentioning when I was on, uh, uh, your Brock party podcast and we recorded the entire episode and, and you had not recorded it. And we were, and Nick was on to discuss, uh, their time travel book. So we immediately re-recorded the podcast from our best memory as fast as we could. So we, we distilled two hours down into a very drunken 30 minutes where I already knew the prompts for questions based on stories. Hey, were you ever driving a car? That reminds me of the time I was driving a car. Uh, yes. So we did time travel in the time travel episode. It remains one of my favorite things that's ever happened in a podcast. And the fact that like at midnight you stuck around to re-record after I fucked up so hard uh, remains while well, we will always be friends and you'll always have like one one free pass with me <laughs> it uh it was it was great despite being devastating for like two minutes uh, <laughs> mostly because like to this day i still imagine like what it was like for other people to listen to that and to not have b- experienced the first part where we actually recorded the episode <laughs> uh, and to like only hear our redux uh, well uh weird. when we first when we, the first episode of this show that we did we recorded three times four times yeah Something like that, because something, kept, I don't even remember, like, the entire thing, but, like, something kept messing up every time. And, and, uh, and Nick, it was for the, the self-titled debut album by The Used. Yeah. <laughs> Which isn't a particular of note for either of us. In fact, we managed to record our first episode of this show and then went back to do The Used and then fucked it up again. So, like, talking about The Used is haunted on this show. <laughs> yeah. Don't that, don't bring it up right now. We're almost done. <laughs> we're almost done. We're, we're yeah, going to have to do I know do you a... brought it up because you're as worried as I am that we're going to fuck this one up again. <laughs> I think I everybody is recording. <laughs> we have, like, six recordings of this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to do a Silverstein episode someday soon. Um <sighs> I'm not looking for that. Have you guys done uh, say anything? No, that's a good one. Which which one? Well, which one do you want to do? Is a real boy. Oh, okay, because yeah. well, because my favorite is their self-titled, uh, but I do love is a real boy. Um, but uh, they're self-titled after after Mike Bemis like kind of went crazy, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, I, as my favorite, um, uh, in defense of the genre, is far too long. 
and yes. not as good uh, <laughs> on a lot. Like, uh, Brock, have you ever listened to In Defense of the Genre? I have not because I've heard how funny that title is in relation to the quality of the album. <laughs> God, it's like, all right, so it's it's two it's two CDs. Great. And the second the second CD has a has a guest has like one or two guests from different bands on each album on each track. Oh, okay. And like it's the beginning of like uh, two tongues that uh, band that he does with uh, Saves the Days, uh, Chris Conley. And uh, it was it was the first time where I really thought, man, I could never hear Chris Connolly sing again, and I'd be fine. <laughs> I think you know it's like Israel Boy is a double album, and it's mm-hmm. and it's good all the way through. So mm. I, it probably gave him like a false sense of you know like how freaking you should do a double album if at all. Yeah, yeah. And there's not much memorable about In Defense of the Genre, while like there's plenty of memorable tracks from Is a Real Boy. Yeah, yeah. Just like I want, Brock. I'm not gonna tell you to listen to it. Just look it up on Wikipedia, and you'll be like, "What in hell?" Like, you, you know, you know. Now, if, if we if we find a guest for it, I'll absolutely do it. There's nothing like a, a concept album fuck up for me to be real into it. <laughs> yeah. Also, we got to do Curse of one of these days too. I'm so happy. uh anyway uh nick thank you so much for coming on our show hey thank uh, you guys it was a pleasure yeah i really i really love this album and uh when brock when you were like we should do this album i was like yes i love that album and to have to like i like introducing brock to things to albums he hasn't heard before um so this was all around good experience. I also like it when Terrence introduces me to albums instead of us both being introduced to an album that we have a uh, no draw to. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're back, baby. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad I didn't have to fight anyone about the, which album is better. Uh, we just uh, got that out of the way. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a lot of, in this area, like, uh, in Virginia, uh, there's a lot of like pop punk contingency, uh, because it's a beach town and I feel like pop punk kind of swarms around sunny weather and all that. Um, and I'm not that person. Like, I mean, there are pop punk bands that I like, but there are some that I cannot stand to listen to anymore. Um, like I can't hear Jordan, whatever the hell his name is from newfound glory ever again, because oh my God. you can't keep singing like that after you're 18 years old. I hated um, that shit when I was when I was a teenager. I was like, "What I are liked, you doing, guy?" I, <laughs> I liked nothing. Gold can stay because I was it was like ninety nine when that album came out. Um, but every time I hear anything past that, I'm just like, I, "I don't need this." Yeah, I don't. I don't need this. Jeff, I know you're listening to this. My friend Jeff uh, plays in a band, and I like to mess with him on any podcast that I do. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, you can find both me and Brock on Twitter uh, under the Coolest Kids banner. It is Coolest Kids Pod. Uh, if you would rate and review the show on iTunes, it helps a whole lot to get this in front of get this in front of eyes and into ear holes. I am the Black Nerd on Twitter. Brock is at Brock Wilbur. Brock, do you have anything else? Missouri Loves Company on iTunes. Please rate and review. Thank you guys so much for listening. Yes, I'm sorry. I had a there's like a burp stuck in my throat, and I'm gonna <laughs> die. Uh, once again, Nick, thank you so much. Um, as always, we are the coolest kids, and we take what we can get. Bye.
Bye, guys.